Let's go right to the Bible this morning. I want to talk to you about the peace of Christ. And I do think that I'm going to introduce some doctrine, which will come in the form of an idea that you may not have heard before when it comes to this subject of obtaining, I mean, actually having the peace of Christ. Not just talking about it or reading about it, but actually having it. John 14, verse 27, Jesus is going to the cross and he's giving some last minute exhortations and instructions to the apostles, to his disciples. And I know that we've been through this verse over the years from time to time. But in verse 27 of John chapter 14, Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, starting with this verse, there are certain considerations that I'd like to draw your attention to. For me, every single time I've read this verse over these many, many, many years, I'm always drawn to the word, my. Maybe you know people who seem to be always calm, tranquil. I don't know how many of those are actually left in the world, but I'm sure you've met a few. And Jesus is not saying that. I'll give you the peace that you've known like so-and-so. My peace, the peace that I myself have. I'm going to give you my peace. That's what has always come to my mind every single time I read this text. Peace, I leave with you my peace. I give unto you, not as the world gives. There's something to be said about that, and we'll come back to that later. I'm giving you my peace, not the way the world gives peace, and so don't let your heart be troubled, and don't let it be afraid. And as I've drawn your attention to this in times past with this verse, the word let. If there wasn't a temptation for even the most devoted Christian to be troubled or to be afraid, then there'd be no necessity for God to have put this in the Bible. We're all tempted to be troubled with our problems, problems of the world, and all of this, and we are all tempted at times to be afraid. Do not ever believe anybody who tells you they are never afraid. It's just simply a question of who overcomes their fears, who overcomes their troubles. And so we have this here. Jesus is going away, so he's already said, I'm going away, I will come again, but I'm leaving you, in addition to the Holy Spirit and perhaps some other things we could mention, I'm leaving you my peace. And if you examine the life of Jesus, and I know that many of you have just by reading Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, you'll see that Jesus is always composed. Now, you're not always composed, and certainly I've not always been composed. That's a fact. But Jesus is, in the most dire of circumstances, including going to a Roman cross, Jesus is always composed. And he's saying, I'm leaving you my peace. So don't let your heart be troubled. And I'll interject what I think is being said here. I know that you're going to be tempted to be troubled by the things that you see and the things that you're going through, the things you're going to go through. The apostles were told, prophesied, the type of sufferings they were going to have. And Jesus said, now don't let your heart be troubled at these things. And don't let your heart be afraid because I'm giving you my peace. It's at this point that I want to introduce to you some concepts that I believe to be biblically sound about the peace of Christ. The first one is what we think of peace. Ordinarily, when we think about peace, it has a lot to do with external circumstances, meaning things just simply go right. They go well. And then there's an occasional, occasional mishap, but generally just things are going well. The family, the job, everything, it's just going well. And so I'm at peace. That's one concept. But that's precisely what Jesus was referring to when he said, not as the world gives it. Even though we must be intelligent enough to know that the world can't give peace in that fashion. But that's how we imagine it. The conflicts in the marriage, they're all over, and the conflicts with whatever, your family, your extended family, your church family, whoever, they're all over. I'm at peace. Or I'm going to sequester myself. I'm going to get alone for a long, long time. 
and then I'll have peace. And that is precisely, once again, how the world pictures it. And it's not what Jesus was referring to. And we just know the Bible. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to give you my peace now. I don't want you to go anywhere. I don't want you to leave Jerusalem. I mean, eventually, they had to leave Jerusalem. They were at first told not to leave. But you're just going to stay here, and you're going to stay in prayer with the door locked and the windows shut, and you all here on your own are going to turn off the news and not watch it and not be informed of what's going on, and you're going to have peace. And that's not what Jesus was referring to. So what was he referring to? First, let me tell you my personal experience. Over the years, occasionally, I've showed you this, but some of you have not seen it. And even if you have, it's something I just want to remind you of. January the 30th, 1990, so that's 32 years ago for me, I sat in my living room, and I wasn't happy with myself. I wasn't happy with the fact that I still found myself worrying about things and wasn't really happy with my dedication to Christ and other things. And I was home alone. It was winter. Of course, it's January the 30th. So I had built a fire in the fireplace, a small one. And it occurred to me to rededicate my life to Christ. But this time, to do something different, which is to list areas that I consider to be anything that has to do with my life, anything, which just happened to number 10. 10 areas that I consider to be everything about me, put them on a piece of paper, I had a time of prayer. And then I just spoke to the Lord and I said, I give these to you. I don't want them anymore. I don't want to own these things anymore. Let me just be a steward over these areas of my life and these gifts and talents and so on. Then I took the paper and I put it in the fireplace and I burnt it. Then in my Bible, I drew this picture. Now I have one, not in every Bible that I've bought since January the 30th, 1990. And this is not the original picture. I drew this picture of an Old Testament altar. Here are the stones, there's the fire. And then every time I've rededicated, at least here, I recorded 2003, 2011, but I've done it since then. This is what I listed on that piece of paper that burned on that day, January the 30th, 1990. My will, my family, my finances, my friends, my future, my ministry, my health, my reputation, my time, my possessions. In a minute, I'm going to read something to you from another imposing man of God, lived quite a few years ago. But it's moments like these. It was a moment like this 32 years ago. You had this kind of, it's a feeling. I mean, a genuine something you sense in your body, just a peace. But it's a sensual peace. I mean, you sense it. The organs are at peace. The heart is at rest. And the muscles are relaxed. I was happy that I did that. And I felt good when I did that. And I felt free when I did that. Now I don't own anything. I'm just Christ's steward, which seemed to me to be, at the moment, a good idea. However, I have a verse here that I'm going to read to you that is at the bottom of this list that came to me sometime afterward when I made this altar. It's in Leviticus 27, verses 28 and 29. And the Bible says, notwithstanding, no devoted thing that a man shall devote unto the Lord of all that he hath, both of man and beast. Notice both the man and beast. Devoted to the Lord, either man or beast. And of the field of his possessions, so that would be fruit and whatever, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy unto the Lord. None devoted which shall be devoted of men, shall be redeemed. Can't take it back, that's what it means. But shall surely be put to death. Interestingly, the brother I just referred to is went home with, to be with the Lord yesterday. I showed him this many years ago. And then I included this verse down here, and he said a curious thing to me. He was raised in this faith, his whole family was. And he says, you know, I never saw that before. I said, well, it's just something that the Lord showed me sometime after this devotion, after this commitment, that what you give to the Lord, when you're sincere about it, you can't take it back. I have over the years made mention to people and how much they comprehended of it. I don't know. I just know how I comprehended it. When we ask people, give your life to the Lord, or you, we say heart, give your heart. Well, your heart is your life. 
that it has occurred to me over the years that that needs explanation. What does it mean I give my life to the Lord? Well, Leviticus chapter 27, 28, 29 means you now devoted to the Lord. Your life is devoted to the Lord and you can't take it back and it's going to be put to death. I want to say to you that when I first made this altar, I had not no comprehension. I had very little comprehension of what all this entailed 32 years ago. And I was saved years before that. Let me just simply say there is not one area of this that represents my life, all 10 things, that has not been put to death one way or the other. I often tell people life has not turned out the way I thought it would. And you know what? To this very day and to this very moment, it's still not turning out the way I thought it would. And why is that? Because I devoted it to the Lord and he's directing my steps. Now here's another verse, you know, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. And it can produce a sensual feeling. I don't mean sexual, I mean, it just feels good. And you can talk to the same person a week or so later, they're living completely opposite from what they said a week or two or month or year before that. What happened? Because the book says, whatever is devoted to the Lord becomes most holy to the Lord and cannot be redeemed but be put to death. Of course, it's an Old Testament principle, but it has spiritual application for any of you who say, I want to give my life to the Lord. You need to understand what that means. You see, one thing Jesus never did, was a lot of things Jesus never did. One thing he never did is he never manipulated people. He didn't have clever programs. He didn't do the old bait and switch. He told them right up front. One man says, well, can I just go bury my father? And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. You come with me. That was an extraordinary circumstance, but that was what he said to him. In other instances, he talked about carrying a personal cross, which again for us has a lot less meaning than it did in the first century, when the cross was still a method of execution, a horrible method of execution that even the Romans themselves insisted in one manner of speaking, in that if you put from their eyes, they didn't want to see, it was so horrible. Yeah, he talked about, you want to follow me, you're going to go to a cross. You're going to have a personal cross. Which, by the way, I have my own belief about that, that every cross that Jesus gives to true disciples is tailor-made for you. I may not understand what thing you're dying to, and you may not understand what thing I'm dying to, but it's my personal view that the cross is tailored just for you. And so I did this. Again, 1990, well, I was already saved for almost 12 years, 11 years. So I wasn't a newbie, I wasn't a newcomer. I just was tired of my life at the time. But here's the thing, here's the challenge. By the way, above here, you can see in Hebrew, Kodesh la Yahweh, holiness to the Lord. And again, let me just repeat myself one more time. On that day, there was a sense of peace, a physical sense of peace, a peace of mind, yeah. Probably more to do with the brain than with the mind, with the soul. Because one by one, God took his hammer and the nail and crucified my life. The very first thing he touched in three months was my health. I found myself locked up in the hospital. And I won't go through the details, but it's still the lowest period, uh, close to one of the lowest periods of my Christian walk. Does God really take us serious when we pray? Yeah, I mean, it's nice when you ask God for something and get it. That's great because that's part of his promises too. But does he really take us serious when I say, God, I'm giving you my life. My life is in your hands. And as our song leader pointed out today, I surrender all. I was thinking of alternative lyrics to that song. I surrender this song to you because it's a fairly pretty song. I surrender this to you, but not that, Lord. So all doesn't mean all sometimes. Depends on who's singing it. All means some things. All means things I'm comfortable giving to you. When Jesus calls people, he doesn't say, what are you comfortable giving me? <laughs> and to be blunt, to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, and there's only one. The call is one that is high, and in the limited minds, our limited understanding of things, it is unpredictable. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but it is the decision of the Lord that abides. That's how it goes. My health, that was in three months. Since then, my reputation, things said about me that are not accurate or true. Of course, my will, how my family has been touched, the finances, friends, something that was always important to me. 
My future is still, I always tell people, I'm literally walking in the dark. Well, you got the Bible, and I know the verses, but I don't know sometimes moment by moment what's the next thing to do. And then my time, and then my possessions, I have a lot of possessions. The point here, there has not been one thing in 32 years that God has not somehow put to death. And taken away my ambition, and taken away my hope, and you say, oh, was God cruel? No, just the opposite. Anything that God has done for me or to me and anything that God will do for you and to you, he knows is best for you. So that would encourage you to do this, but I'm telling you, think about it first. Think about it. As the old saying goes, think before you jump off the deep end. The gospel in many places today is shallow. It's not the Bible's fault. It's just the way it's presented. It just seems to be so easy and the preacher will make it so easy. But Jesus never did. And that's the truth. There was a man by the name of Miguel de, from de Molinos. He was a Catholic priest. I won't go through all of his beliefs, but he was one of the heads of something known as Quietism. He wrote a book about it, The Spiritual Guide. And it went well with him for a while until some of the authorities within inside the Roman Catholic Church decided that they didn't care for what he was writing and what he was teaching others. At first he was endorsed by the Jesuits and the Capuchins and other denominations of the Roman Catholic Church. But then during the Spanish Inquisition, Miguel de Molinos was Spanish, um, they brought him to trial. Eventually they convicted him of heresy and his sentence was life in prison. But I want you to read something here which interestingly, I discovered this on my own in my own walk with the Lord. And then I watched other Christians that I had pastored or known the same principle. I did not know that this was really known to other people outside my own way of thinking. In the spiritual guide, Miguel de Molinos wrote these words. You should know that there are two sorts of prayer. The one tender, delightful, amicable, and full of sentiments. The other, he wrote, obscure, dry, desolate, tempted and darksome. Now, I'm going to say this very clearly, that I don't think in our present culture that anyone thinks of the prayer life as being obscure, dry, desolate, tempted, and darksome. But I know, again, speaking as a testimony in my own experience, that that has been true. And to this moment, it still is true. Listen to what Molinus wrote. He says, the first is for beginners, the second for proficients, who are in the progress to perfection. God gives the first to gain souls, the second to purify them. With the first, he uses them like children. With the second, he begins to deal with them as strong men. The first way, he wrote, may be called the animal life, the flesh life. And it belongs to those who go in the tract of devotion through the senses, which God gives to beginners to the end that, being endowed with that small relish, as the natural man is with the senses, they may addict themselves to the spiritual life. The second way is called the life of men, and it belongs to those who, not focusing on the pleasures of the senses, fight and war against their own passions, so that they may conquer and obtain perfection, which is the proper employment of men. Also. Be aware that dryness or aridity in prayer is an instrument for your good. It is nothing else but a lack of senses that puts a stop to the flight of almost all spiritual men and makes them even draw back and leave off prayer. You don't feel God. You don't sense God. It seems as though no matter how long you pray, God is not answering and so forth. Molinus was putting forth something here I did not know he wrote this. I just seen this just a few days ago. But I've seen this in my own life and in the life of others that I've known. I mean, those who were truly committed to Christ. So he writes, again, it is nothing else but this lack of senses that puts a stop to the flight of almost all spiritual men and makes them even draw back and leave off prayer. This may be seen in many souls, listen, that only persevere while they taste consolation through their senses. But know that the Lord makes use of the veil of dryness so that we may not know what he is working in us. And so be humble. 
Because if we feel and understand what he is working in our souls, satisfaction and presumption would get in. Imagining that we are doing some good thing and reckoning ourselves very near to God. This, he wrote, would be our undoing. Molinus understood what I now consider to be a universal principle of following Christ. At first, it's all effervescent joy. It's, it's songs and prayer meetings that go on. We've had them all night long. And then this is very much like the theme of the dark night of the soul. Where now as you step further and further and you're getting stronger and stronger in the Lord, in the Lord's mind, he says, now it's time to make the tests more difficult. In the end, it's still good for you, but we don't like it. I will say to you today, if you are going on to, quote, perfection in the Lord, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you are a beginner, don't get discouraged because this is how God does it. I once had an experience with the Lord many years and I had already prayed just before I wrote this here. I was still a much younger Christian. And, you know, just ask God to give me a cross. And he accommodated me. Prior to that, for a couple of few years, didn't matter what I did in ministry. It had the Midas touch. Everything was gold. Everything worked. Then all of a sudden, after I prayed that little prayer, before I wrote this one here, the longer version, accusation and other things started coming in and friends, Christian friends, turning against me and there was a few other things that would bog the sermon down if I told you all the details. But it wasn't good. Uh, to me, it wasn't good. Ultimately, it was good. And I found myself, and I don't cry much. I mean, with tears, you know? I just don't. But here I was with a friend of mine, and we were close friends. We were in ministry together, in prison ministry for seven years. And I found myself just crying, how broken I was. And he started to laugh. He says, here's a guy that just last week was talking about how, you know, great everything is. is now you're, he didn't mean that as, you know, he didn't intend that to be insulting. He was just pointing out. And then he began to share with me about the life of brokenness. I did not want to hear that. When you're broken, you don't want to hear the great physician say to you, this is for your good. We want to turn on the evangelist on television that says, be healed and all that. And healing is part of the Bible. Part of Christ is still for today, yes. But you say you want to be perfect in Christ. The theme here today, by the way, is the peace of Christ. When are you going to get to it, Pastor? Just give me a little time. I'll get to it. So far it's been pretty dark. But it'll get bright in a moment. I'm saying to you that the peace that Christ gives is not the way many people picture it. You're going to go to the perfect church and ruin it because you're in it. But you got the peace of Christ. And no, 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 you got the peace that the world gives. The world keeps changing their situation. The world just keeps changing their circumstances and all. For a couple of months they have peace. But Christ gives a peace that's abiding. It doesn't go away if the rules are being paid attention to. So let me continue. I want to just say one more thing about Miguel de Molinos. His sentence was life imprisonment by the elders of the Roman Catholic Church at the time. He had a statement. I did read his book many years ago. And that statement always stuck with me. Here's a man has served the Lord faithfully. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow stated that Molinus was a spiritual genius and so forth. And as he was going into his prison cell, it was another Catholic priest that was putting him in this cell. During the Spanish Inquisition, these were his last words before they put him into the cell where he lasted for nine years before he died. These were his words. Goodbye, Father. We shall meet again on the day of judgment. Then it will be seen if the truth was on your side or mine. Those were heavy words. They're putting this man in prison and basically he's saying we will all stand before God and on that day and on that day alone we'll find out who was right, you, for what you've done or me. You know, let me say something here which is part of my difficulties in life is that like you, I've been done injustices but it doesn't seem like God has ever judged anybody for it but I know the day of judgment is coming and on that day we'll find out whose truth was right. Theirs or mine. And so let me introduce this to you. The peace of Christ. You must hold it fast in your head. It's not the way the world gives it. And the professing church around the world, really, but I usually concentrate on Americans in America, they're giving it the way the world gives it. And let me just say this as a kind of a lighthearted commentary on something that bothers me, that irritates me. Here's a world-renowned international evangelist who's now embroiled in a controversy over 
her form of the keto diet. I read an ad about this woman who was well, well known for her teachings and preachings. I don't follow her, but some do. And you know, you read a statement like this, you go on this diet and the fat melts off you. Fat does not melt off anybody. That's just a lie. I'm not going to talk about the keto diet. I'm just going to talk about an evangelist who should be paying more attention to the Bible and let the other people tell people how to lose weight or whatever. If you want to have the peace of Christ, you have to acknowledge what this book says, that there is death before there is deliverance. You come to this church regularly, and I know most everybody here, and I hope that you like me. I really do. <laughs> and then more than that, I hope that you love me. <laughs> but uh, what I was going to say is that you may not feel quite the same if I never changed from what I was before. Especially if I kept all the salty language and added some adjectives to things I feel strongly about. I am what I am by the grace of God. Amen. Simple. I'm not looking for someone's approval. Oh, we're happy with your change. We have some suggestions. You keep the suggestions and go on the keto diet and lose some weight. I'm only interested in one thing in my life. It's pleasing God. My faith and your faith was not designed to please people. And if you go after that, People are whimsical, they're capricious, they change their minds, they love you, they don't love you, they're with you, they're not with you. You will be like a donkey chasing a carrot, you'll never catch it. But if you live your life to please God, you're guaranteed a reward. Amen. And what that reward is, is what I'm bringing to you today. It's the peace of Christ. In the midst of tribulation. What did he say here? Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And I won't turn there with you right now for lack of time, but he will also say, in the world you will have tribulation. But wait a second, Lord, if I'm having tribulation, I can't have peace. That's how the world thinks, and that's how some Christians think. Troubles. Yeah, and Jesus said you were going to have troubles, and you're going to have even more troubles because you're following Christ. But he said, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In other words, I've been through the world that you're living in now, and I've overcome in this one sense, to stay with the theme, I have continued in my composure, in my peace, and now I'm leaving you my peace in a world of tribulations and troubles. And that's a promise. And that's why I signed on years ago. I signed on for peace. May I tell you how many times I was foolish enough to let people take it from me? Someone said something to me yesterday, and it was very much like something someone said to me a couple of months before that. Innocent statement, really. But it was not a good statement, biblically speaking, and it took me all day to fight that thought out of my head. Oh, where's the peace there, Pastor? Well, the peace of Christ is a bit different. It's peace in the middle of a tribulation, in the midst of troubles, in the midst of fears and oh, doubts and everything else. You keep your composure, and you set your will, let not your heart be troubled. And you say to yourself, this will not conquer me. This will not overcome me. I will not relinquish. I will not give in. I will not quit. Amen. But every time the devil comes around with his tail wagging, if he has a tail and whatever else he may have, you're going to cower and say, you know, well, you're going to lose it. You have to set your will to the word of God to realize that there is a cost. There is death before deliverance. And in order to keep the peace and retain the peace of Christ, you must die so he can live. But if he's already dead to you, then you're going to live, and the result will not be what you want. Romans chapter 6, a few verses. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? And keep in mind that sin is not only what you do that God said not to do, it's what you're not doing that God said to do. Shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? There's the death before deliverance. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Now keep in mind what that meant. It was a painful death. It was a horrible death. And the spiritual application for you and for me is that these things that are given to God, when they're touched by God and put to death, it hurts. That's a mild way of expressing it. 
It can cause you anguish. It can cause you agony. So I don't want to hear that. I thought you were going to talk about the peace of Christ. I am. But I have to make a distinction that it's not the way the world gives it. The world gives it in a can or a bottle or rolled up in paper or a needle. Uh, I had a young girl say to me, I said, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? She said, I want to be a trophy wife. I said, what's a trophy wife to you? I mean, I think I know what it means. What does it mean to you? And she had some explanation. And I said, well, I hope it works out for you. But beauty, as the book says, is fleeting. You ever see some of these movie stars, men or women, whoever you admired, and you say, wow, what a good-looking guy. What a beautiful-looking woman. Then you see him today? Remind yourself of that. When you look in the mirror, you get a good reminder. I'll tell you that much. You say, this is not working out. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That's here and now. Before the resurrection of the dead, that's now. Walking in newness of life now. What kind of life? It's the life of Christ. It's not the life of the interpretation of some denomination or some Christian church or anyone else. It's walking in the life that Christ himself gives. It's walking in the peace that Christ gives, not without tribulations, but the peace that Christ gives in the tribulation, in the sorrows, in the depressions, so that eventually you come through them and you overcome them. That's the thing that Jesus says in the book of the Revelation to five of those seven churches, to him that overcomes, to him that overcomes. If you didn't have a problem, there'd be nothing to overcome. If you didn't have obstacles and troubles, there'd be nothing to overcome. But he says, to him that overcomes, will I grant to eat of the tree of life. And he goes on through various promises to the churches in the book of the Revelation. To him that overcomes. Make a decision today. Are you going to overcome or be overcome? Are you going to work in the power of your own soul and your own flesh and your own senses and think, well, I've done God a service. But when it's really, really time to be alone and you're in solitude, which, by the way, that's when I'm really close to my own soul, when I'm actually physically alone. And I realize that this, that, and the other thing is inside there and has been troubling me. And it's not what I want, so I resist it with my will. In the name of Jesus Christ, I resist it. And so we read again, even so we also should walk in newness of life. But let us not be deceived that this is going to be easy. Don't deceive yourself. I always refer to these people on television, books they write. I don't know that they actually believe it's easy. I don't know if they're actually lying purposely or they're deceived themselves. Both are in this book. But, well, it's like the dieting. Melts the fat off you. Let me just use this word. That's just plain stupid. And forgive me. I'm asking you in advance for forgiveness. Those statements are made for stupid people. Fat's melting off me. Yeah. You ever see people who lose a large amount of weight, then a year later they're twice as big as they were? Yeah. Yeah. Well, think about that. If we walk in newness of life, he said, we're supposed to be walking in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man, the old you, is crucified with him. This is death, but it's not a theoretical death. It's an actual death that God himself brings into our lives. Thankfully, he does it one by one, little here, little there. But after a while, you realize this isn't the way I thought my life would go. But you can be assured when you're dedicated that it's going the way that God wants it to go. And that's a good thing. Because he says in the book, he will never suffer the righteous to be moved. Quick story. When I was a letter carrier for the post office, I was number two low man on the totem pole. If you've ever been in a union, you know seniority means a lot. I had no seniority. I was only on the job, I don't know, six months or so. I was in a large city office, I don't know, 80 letter carriers or so. And two things. Number one, it came time to put in for vacation. We've always taken our vacation in June, July. So I put in for a couple months in July and the clerk who was taking the vacation requests literally laughed at me. <laughs> July, everybody takes July and you're nothing. She didn't say that, but that's what she meant. And you are nobody. And I said, well, maybe so, but put it in anyway. A week or so later, with an astonished look on her face, she says, Barnett, yeah, here's your vacation time. You got it. Thank you. And I got to say this, okay? Don't get mad at me if you work for the government. 
But I hated working for the post office. I did it because I had to take care of my wife and my children, my family. To me, that's honorable. I did not like going to work. I complained about it when I came home. Almost every day. And I'm not saying it's wrong to work as a letter carrier. It just wasn't me. It was part of this crucifixion thing that I'm talking about. God preparing me for ministry. Anyway, the low men on the totem pole were going to have to work Sundays. Now, from the beginning, I have always been a believer that Sunday is the Lord's day. And I will not work. My boss came over to me. My supervisor, Barnett. And they never call you by your first name. Barnett. Yeah, he said, I'm going to need you to drive the truck on Sundays. I said, "Uh uh-oh. See, what he didn't know, and thankfully my wife didn't know, my children were too young to know, that if anybody forced me to work on a Sunday, I wasn't a preacher. I didn't have credentials at the time. But I was a preacher. I just didn't have, you know, the card in my pocket. I was going to quit. I didn't care if I had to work four jobs. I will not work on the Lord's Day. But I didn't tell him that. I just stood there for a moment, and I said, hmm. Well, I said, and his name was Bill. I said, Bill, can you find someone to take my place? And he laughed again. To pay a regular man, I was not a regular. I was what they call a part-time flex. So I got the wages that you pay a new employee. But to pay a regular guy who's been on a job 20 years, you have to pay him double time to work on a Sunday. They weren't going to do that. I said, well, you got to drive the truck. And in my head, I said, no, I won't. I just smiled and said, okay. And I prayed. I said, Lord, you gave me this job. Lord, now it's your obligation. I was a song leader in the church. I was a youth leader in the church. I was on the board in my local church. I wasn't a pastor yet. And I said, you gave me this job, and I'm going to be in that service singing songs, and I'm going to be there, you know, and so on. So do something, Lord. Came to work a few days later. Here comes Bill. Barnett. Yeah, Bill? Forget about working Sundays. I was curious at why. He says, I got Joe. Joe was a regular. They're going to pay him double time. But that's not all. Then he says, come here, I want to show you something. And he had the schedules for different people up on the wall. He said, in addition, now you're going to take over this schedule. But I had no idea what that meant. Now, you have the picture. This is the city of Mount Vernon. <clears throat> Mount Vernon is a very large city. I'm always in a different place. I don't know where the mail goes. Mailboxes are not always like where they're supposed to be. They're in the back of the house. Somebody's got it under the mat. You go into the projects. You go into some of these places where there's a ton of people. And uh, the mailboxes don't have locks. You got checks for people that says Smith. And there's 14 or 15 Smiths in the building and dogs and everything else. And I didn't know where I was going. And my mind is not good with that type of stuff. I like things in order. And he showed me this schedule, you know, Route 9, Route 19, whatever it was. And he walked away. So I called over one of the regular guys and said, you know, help me out here. Bill just said to me that this is my new schedule. What does that mean? And he said, well, let me see. And he says, now you're going to be on Mondays on Route 9 and on Tuesdays, Route 19. He says, you got all the cream puff routes. I said, I did? I didn't ask for a cream puff route. Because the Bible says he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Our part is to do what he says and do the hard work. Then the blessing comes. And that is something that we need to keep our minds on. I got not only relieved of working Sundays... I was given the cream puff routes of the office of Mount Vernon, which is a very large city. And I was out of the office so quick and back. And um, I'm not supposed to say this, but I had plenty of time for lunch. I'll just put it that way. (laughs) I bring my Bible in my truck or wherever I was going or in my sack. And I had time to read the Bible and have an extra hot dog or an extra whatever slice of pizza. Because God... Oh, I forgot an important point. One of the other part-time flexes who professed to be a Christian said, you know, the union's going to fight you on this assignment that you were given because it was supposed to be given to a regular guy. You know the union. I mean, the union speaks people. Listen, this is what I told this friend of mine. I mean, after I got that route assignment, I said, let me tell you something. If the postmaster general himself from Washington said, take Barnett off that route, He could not do it because Jesus said, now this is a professing Christian I'm talking to, he said, I will open the door no man can shut, and I'll shut a door no man can open. I said to him, I'll be on that route to the day I leave this office. And you know what? I was. The very day I left that office, they called me Cream Puff Barnett. And that's because I went to the cross first. The agony of a personal death, and it's been many other things since, 
the dark nights of the soul, there's been many of those. But let me say something to you. You think before you commit your life to Christ, but I would encourage you to do so. I would encourage you to do so. And when you open your mouth, glorify God. Look, at, I want to help a couple of you out here. I have a friend. He may be watching this message right now. Ten years ago, he had a stroke. He's lost the use of his right arm and his right leg. And when, on some occasions, he had to go to therapy, which is from where he lives in West Harrison to Mamaroneck. Walks. Dragging his leg. You know why? He refuses to complain about his illness. He happens to be Irish as well, but he refuses to complain about his illness. He can't hold up a glass with his right hand, and you have to know Irish humor, dark humor. I said, so what are you saying? You're not going to become a waiter? He said, no, and I'm not going to become a pinch runner for the Yankees. The ability to laugh at your situation, literally laugh at your situation, that's the type of strength Christ gives us. Doesn't mean you're happy or that it's actually funny, but you're able to look at your problems with a type of contempt and say, it's a problem, but you're not going to overcome me because I have the peace Amen. of Christ. Amen. Let me give you this before I finish. Death before deliverance, that comes first. You say, give me deliverance, I'll think about death. No, you die first. And then go through the tests God puts you through. You'll find deliverance. And then this, you have to make a decision that you will commit yourself to Christ all the way, listen, before he decides to commit himself to you. So, wow, yeah, where's your Bible for that? Well, it's right here. John chapter 2, 23, 24, 25. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name. That's what we want. That's what we call a revival or evangelism. They believe in his name. And so we go on to Christian television show, and we talk about thousands believed on the Lord. Okay, good. Many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them. What? <laughs> because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man. If God did away with the whole human race, the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Wants us? Yes. Loves us, of course. Needs us? No. God doesn't need us because he's God. You have to make a decision before there's a dedication, listen, from God to you. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but that which is revealed belong to us and our children. That means that we can read the 31,102 verses in our Bibles and look at a lot of things and intellectualize it and have an intellectual concept and all of that, that's still not walking in the Spirit. It also means that there are some things here that the Holy Spirit has got to bring to our eyes and bring light to the text and maybe some other things as well uh, for us to be strengthened in wisdom, to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I mean, there's nothing greater than when you're up against the Red Sea and the Egyptian army is behind you and you really don't know what to do. I mean, there's many of you, you don't know what to do. And you're a sincere Christian and you pray and you read the Bible, you come to services and you really don't know what to do. And I'm there frequently. I don't know what to do. I know what needs to be done. I just don't know how to get it done. So you pray. And it happens to the greatest of saints, if you read their biographies, but there's nothing like calling out before God and saying the Egyptians are behind us. They just came through a whole bunch of trials, finalizing with the Passover. And now there's no way to go forward and there's no way to go backward. And all the people, which you'll never get to know this part of the ministry, which is exceptionally fun, is when things are going right and everybody says, Pastor Ray is great. Pastor Ray is great. He's the greatest. He's the greatest. And when it goes wrong, kill him. Kill him. We'll never come back here again. Kill him. That's what they said to Moses. It's a common thing in ministry. When something goes right, which is the credit to God, gives the credit to God, the glory goes to God. Well, God did it. When it goes wrong, God's saying, I'll not answer this prayer. They blame the minister. Well, that's just the way it goes. But I'm saying to you that before Jesus dedicates himself to you, you must be completely dedicated to him. The wisdom gained, the strength gained, etc., and the peace is the one spoken of in Philippians by the Apostle Paul 
that teaches about prayer. And he says, and the peace of God that surpasses understanding shall guard your heart. Keep, keep your heart. It means a guard. Keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. And that's what we want. Certainly what we need. That's what we want. Let me say this in conclusion. Following Christ is a process of letting go. You've heard me say this, and I mean it sincerely. I don't change anyone. I've never changed any of you. My job is to persuade. It's the Spirit of God's job to change. But I have control over myself to submit to God, of course. But the only person I can really change is me. As a pastor, it's difficult, especially when I was younger. It's difficult to know where you're just supposed to let go. You remember on my list of things over here, you know, all these ten things? Number six, my ministry. Well, I was supposed to have the largest church probably in the world. All I had to do, according to one pastor who talked to me when I was young, is just start to sing, preach, and there it is. The entire city of Yonkers, quarter million people, all be in my church. Not only saved, but they'll all be in my church listening to me preach. Do you know it's never worked out that way? It's never, ever worked out that way. But glory be to God. For I have no idea what he spared me from when I had my own ideas about ministry. And I can pay you a compliment. I'm not manipulating you. I'd rather be here today with you than most churches that I know. Not all, but most. Where people's commitment is an inch deep, though it's a mile wide. Looks like a mighty river, but you can barely cover your feet when you step in it. Because I know so many of you, and I know that you're serious with Christ. And I know that the trials that you're going through are difficult because, believe me, I shared them with you as well. And a few, perhaps, you're not going to see. But I'm not going back. I'm not going backward. God help us to not let our heart be troubled. You believe in God, he says. Believe also in me. My brother Joe and Harry and Sayed Adur and so many others that are no longer with me, that I ate lunch with. I've lost almost all my friends. That was on my list too. I mean, minister friends. So let it be. So let it be. But my father's house, he says, has many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And I've always liked to think of it this way. If the men working in my garage are taking a few weeks to just do a little she-rock, then I can say to myself, boy, what kind of place is God making for me? He's taking them 2,000 years to build it. <laughs> He's the great architect of the universe. I know it's stupid, and I don't really believe that, but it's just nice to think that God's been working on my place for 2,000 years. Well, it's not necessarily true, but when Joe, my buddy, left, my friend, left yesterday and Harry left many years ago, over 30, or about 30, and say to her and others from we've known here, Mary and others, Jill. What was it like at that moment when the body stayed behind and the spirit went before the Lord and for the very first time saw Jesus face to face? And more so, because I know many of you are paying the price for serving the Lord. To be there with Jesus when he says, well done. Thou good and faithful servant, well done. You may not have been the most popular person on the earth when you were on the earth, but believe me, you're going to say, boy, it was worth it. And whatever I went through is not even worthy to be compared with the glory that's being revealed in me, in us. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. How about you? Amen. Let's go before the Lord today and be dedicated to securing the peace of Christ for yourself. Stomach is churning today. Hands are a little sweaty. Headaches, whatever it may be troubling you. The peace of Christ awaits you in the midst of your tribulations and your trials. And people are going to say, in fact, I had this said to me just recently, like a week ago. I don't know how you do it. You know what my answer is? I'm not. It's God. I would have quit a long time ago. Father, we come not just for the reward. We come because you're worthy to be praised. You're worthy to be served. You're God. And we stand here today before you saying, Lord, we're coming to you to dedicate our life. When we sang, I surrender all. And for those of you who do mean this, I meant all. 
God, be merciful to us when your crucifixion comes in these areas of our life. The pain sometimes is excruciating, but the reward to finally realize that that thing that's been crucified was holding me back. Help us to be able to say, oh God, that we are free at last from the encumbrances, from those who steal our joy. Well, we just let them steal it. And now to take the will and say, I am not going to let my heart be troubled. I am not going to let my heart be afraid. I'm not going to let it. Let the battle begin. We embrace the storm. Because if we don't, then the storm's just going to eat us up. There's no choice. There's no other option. Lord God, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Just for a quick minute here, I want to ask you if you're willing, make an altar right there in front of you and put on that altar whatever it may be that comes first before Jesus and his kingdom. And be determined that by the grace of God, you're going to be changed in the days to come. What is it that holds you back? So worry about finances, worried about your spouse, worried about the children. Well, we should care about these things, but worry no. And let's just give it to God and let it go. Just let it go. And God, only you know today who is doing this and who is sincere and what struggles they'll have with it and wanting to take back something that's been devoted to you, which you have been very explicit about that cannot be taken back. Help them to know that in days, weeks, or months, whatever it is, they'll see the good of it. They'll see the reward of it. God, bless your people with peace. Bless your people with peace. Touch them. Anoint them. Fill them. Strengthen them. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. So, Father, remind us this week to love you with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, and all the strength. And what's more difficult is to love one another. Help us to do that. And again, we will give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. In Jesus' mighty name. Can you say amen this morning? Amen. <clears throat> amen.